Ooh, ooh. Podcast is R&B. That stands for Rhythm Blessings. Thanks for listening to me. Podcast on a Sunday morning. And I don't know what it be. We are back to normal. <laughs> test, test. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Everybody is tapped and locked in. Yes, Erski. I think it's dope when you're just like, welcome back to R&B, Rhythm and Blessings with Russ and Blake. <laughs> like, I think that's like the perfect. Welcome back to R&B. Rhythm and Blessings with Russ and Blake, episode five, five, yeah, episode five, man, and we live, and we live, all right, coming at you from the early morning once again, mm-hmm. got up, got mm-hmm. to it, said thank you for being here, and now we're here. I'm feeling the morning vibe a little better this time around. Last time I was a little off. Maybe I didn't have enough rest that day. I'm I'm feeling it this morning. And, uh, you know, got to say shout out to God. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to have another conversation. And uh, thank you to our audience, everyone that's been supporting us. We appreciate the feedback we've been getting thus far. And uh, we are looking forward to seeing what you guys think about what we talk about today. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about decision making. Do you know how many decisions you make in a day? I feel like I make a billion decisions in a day. Um, according to research, we all approximately make 35,000 decisions in a day. Mm. I, I think that that's probably modest. It yeah. probably is more than that for um, people that are as busy as we are. Um there's something called decision fatigue that can happen very quickly. That mm. the that's a lot of brain power that it goes into making those decisions on a daily basis. Um, but I would argue that making decisions is the basis of accomplishing anything. Yeah. Um, making decisions is the the basis of making progress. It's the basis of um, being successful. So why is it so hard for people to make decisions? I believe because of overthinking. Mm -hmm. I believe that often we know what's right, but then we combat it with a bunch of thoughts of how that could go wrong. And it complicates our decision-making process when we should just learn to trust our judgment and our intuition a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, People underestimate intuition and doubt intuition. Um, There are, what what do you call fortune tellers? What's the other word? Yeah, psychics, like people who are tapped into that. Um, I think that those are just people that trust their intuition more than the average person. Mm. And, you know, we only use a fraction of our brain, so maybe their um, area of their brain that, um, stimulates intuition is a little more in tune, but um, I think we've all experienced something similar to what would be considered deja vu. 
Oh yeah. You know, we, we feel like we've been in the situation before we already know what's going to happen. Um, that that's intuition. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what a a fortune teller or a sidekick would be tapping into on a more frequent basis. And people that are able to trust their intuition often have high levels of success and high levels of confidence Mm -hmm. because, uh, they're not as hesitant in their decision-making. And yeah. usually people that doubt their intuition make more mistakes. And that's why they say when you're uh, doing a multiple choice test, you should go with the first answer that you think of rather than changing your answer. Because usually you're going to regret it because your intuition comes into play as long as you do actually have some knowledge of what it is you're taking a test on. For sure. Yeah. And I think as just normal people, somebody who is super confident in that intuition, whether they are really tapped in, we could take a psychic, for example, if they're really tapped in or not, their confidence can persuade a lot of people who may not know. Mm -hmm. Right. I see that a lot with uh, sports officials, the confidence they have in their calls. Sometimes they might even be wrong, but the fact they're presenting to the whole stadium, a hundred percent confidence, it will make a lot of people think like, Oh, okay, well, that probably happened. Right. And then I see it in the hospital. Um, sometimes doctors will make decisions that will not necessarily be in line with a protocol or uh, with what a textbook would say, but there's a lot of off-label uses for medications and um, a lot of studies that are done to try to enhance treatments and Um, different procedures. So sometimes we're in situations where it's appropriate to try those alternatives. And uh, it takes an executive decision that is often led by intuition that comes with a background knowledge uh, with research and um, a deep understanding of the situation that allows them to do that in a safe way and not just guessing and taking you know, unreasonable risk. Yeah. And I think that adds to another reason why it's difficult for people to make decisions, because if you haven't spent the time studying or acquiring the knowledge base, then when you're in the situation where you have to make an intuitive decision, you might, you're going to not trust yourself more. Yeah. Because you're like, man, I might not even know how to go about the next step after I do this. Yeah. I know that this is right, but I might not know how to follow it up. So I'm going to try to stay away from having it manifest in whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Because it's your first time trying to process that situation. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it really just comes down to repetition and muscle memory of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. So if you've at least thought of that scenario before and thought of solutions, then when you're actually in that scenario, you're able to explore your options a lot more seamlessly. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why we have, um, you know, practice situations in the hospital. We have hands-on experience with the equipment that we use. Even if our class might be online, you need to understand how to troubleshoot and be prepared for uh, unexpected situations. Um, So, along the lines of decisiveness and making decisions, the direct enemy of that would be fear, (laughs) fear. Yes. Which is related to procrastination. Okay. Yes. Yes. Procrastination. Yeah. So I think that almost everyone can say that they have procrastinated at times when it has 
definitely been a significant setback in what they're trying to do. And what you're supposed to do is learn from those situations and not continue to procrastinate in the same way and make the same mistake over and over again. Mm. Um, why is it that procrastination is so prevalent? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking because we enjoy being comfortable mm -hmm. and the moment where we actually have to try to work harder it brings us out of that comfort zone. So I think a lot of people just want to be able to stay in their comfortable energy for as long as possible. And sometimes, even though we know what we want in our lives, we also know that once we produce it and expose it, it's up for critique. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people don't want to be critiqued and they don't want to really go show themselves to the people or the sources that will help elevate them because they're afraid of that judgment. Right. I agree. Um, comfort is a drug. Mm. Comfort feels very good, but comfort is not really that great for you. No. you know, we all deserve comfort. You should feel comfort at times, but in terms of your progress and uh, your development, comfort's always going to slow that down. So um, growth happens in uncomfortable situations. Growth is... Uh, difficult for us to embrace because it takes you out of that comfort zone. You, once you're growing, you're in a different state, mm -hmm. right? If you're a seed and then you're a sprout and then you're a tree, those are all different states of which that seed has never seen before. It's never yeah. experienced. For sure. And since us as human beings have consciousness, we're growing to new states and then our mind has to be able to adapt with like being okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know, a plant is going to grow and just be in every moment what it's supposed to be. As we're growing and sprouting, we're thinking about that process because we're conscious. Mm -hmm. And it can be scary, right? Because the end of that growth process is eventually your mortality. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, when we're using our brain to really come to grips with our growth process, there is that end of the road that yeah. we can imagine. Yeah. I think that that is why it's hard for us to really sit and understand the state that we're in currently mm -hmm. and um like you said the end of the growth process is closer to mortality so the less that you put energy towards growth the soon that you will see, sooner you'll see your mortality mm -hmm. right for so sure that, that effort and growth and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and learning how to adapt is what's going to teach you how to survive mentally and physically yeah and you know we like to be positive but holding people accountable there's people out there that mentally have kind of checked out from being in tune with their growth process mm -hmm. they've gotten to the point where they don't feel like there's more to expand to mm -hmm. and it's almost like like you've mentally died before you're physically gone yeah, and I think it's difficult sometimes to keep that um, that same energy and desire to pursue growth because we have so much structure in the first 18 years of our life, right? Mm -hmm. We have these four-year blocks of education, and we have uh, like preschool, elementary, high school, college for some, and then after that, there, it's just so loose and how we continue to grow and how we... Um, how we educate ourselves and what the next step is. And we get lost in that, that 18 plus 
range mm. from 18 to 85 like what am i supposed to do there's yeah. no structure for me yeah. i have to figure that out on my own and it looks different for everybody yeah thinking about it as imagery as a plant it's like for 18 years you have someone tilling you and you have someone watering you and tending to your needs and then you reach a day where you're given your watering bucket and you're given your seeds and your access to your sunlight. You're 100% now responsible for your growth. Mm -hmm. And we have to metaphorically, you know, cut off those dead leaves and nurture what is growing so then we can become, you know, the greatest yeah. being that we can. And then that big, strong oak tree is a mm. lot more... Um, it's a lot sturdier and a lot more developed than the seed was. But once you get to the tree, that growth is not as easy to notice because you're essentially in your final form, but mm. you're still getting stronger. You're still getting um, a more more um, density to you. Right. Man. And And check this out. You're also now providing shade for others. You know, you, you're you now you might not be getting taller, you might not be getting wider, mm. but your leaves that have matured are now providing shade for others. Yeah, your shelter, man. Yeah, you, you can be the protector after you've developed yourself into what you need to be to mm -hmm. protect yourself. And, and I know we're like off into a whole Im imagery <laughs> trip, but the next thing I'm thinking is the wind doesn't blow you away. You know what I mean? From your seed to your earlier years, that wind can take that plant off somewhere. Mm. But once you have that root base and you're up and sprouting, the wind is just going to, you know what I mean, barely move you. Boy, I didn't think we were going to be pre <laughs> preaching this yeah, morning. So <laughs> let's, get, let's get back uh, to decision, a decision making. Yeah, so um, there's a good article from CNN, and um, they, they have an individual that's involved with the American Psychological Association. Um, they say... The, again, back to the decision fatigue, and it, it can impair your judgment and encourage you <laughs> to make a decision in haste or avoid decision making altogether. So you have to have that balance between making a decision in a appropriate amount of time. You don't want to wait too long and then procrastinate, which uh, leads to avoiding making a decision altogether. And that's what again, to a previous conversation ties back into the necessity of failure because we have to make a decision eventually. And then it's not always going to be the right decision, but the only way to avoid failure is to never make a decision or to continue to procrastinate until you think that you have the, the perfect analysis or um, a depiction of the situation. So again, it's you have to have the balance between the two because you want to have time to explore your options, have time to really invest in whatever it is you decide to do. But if you never start, then you're never going to have opportunity to finish. Yeah, I feel that. Um, also in this article, <clears throat> excuse me, this is um, Grant Pignatiello that they're speaking to. He's a instructor in clinical research, KL2 scholar at... Um, the Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, he says one of the best ways to reduce the amount of decision fatigue you feel is to automate the number of choices you make each day. So that just is saying that we need to make plans. We need to know what to expect in our day. We need to have a routine. 
people that are successful have routines. They get up early, they brush their teeth, they have breakfast, they do whatever, but the, the at least a portion of their day is structured and they accomplish a large number of tasks in a certain amount of time. And then they typically have a pretty standard amount of free time each day too. You shouldn't just have some days I work for one hour, some days I work for 12, some days I read two pages of my book, some days I sit down and read a whole book, you mm-hmm. know, uh, having that fluctuation in your routine is really hard to continue to be consistent in what you're doing. And um, it's easy to break, or it's, I'd say, important to break out of your routine on occasion. That's how you reward yourself and give your uh, mind time to to rest a little bit, rest and digest. But um, again, taking away that decision fatigue is mm. very uh, significant and trying to um, be persistent in whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And honestly, that's where I think that people can add meditation as a tool into their life, you know, yeah. because, you know, I've had super long days and sometimes where I'm making so many decisions and everything I'm doing with my job and even if I take 15 minutes to just like sit on my own and just be and kind of, you know, reset, I feel like if I go to make a whole bunch of more decisions, I have more energy because I've definitely I'm sure you have two through your work days gotten done where you feel like your brain is just like foggy and you're like, oh, my gosh, I've just made so many decisions and have seen I? so many things. And it, it's like you got hit with a flashbang. And yeah. sometimes, you know, we have to figure out a tool to be able to sit and reset. And um, that happens most to me when I don't take care of myself properly. Mm. So I've said in the past that there's certain decisions I can make in a day about what I'm going to do as far as how much sleep I get, what I eat, how much water I drink. And if I do these things, more often than not, I'm going to have a great day Mm -hmm. because I feel better, I perform better, and I'm able to react to situations and a positive manner more often so um mm-hmm. you know through covid i'm going through these sit, um really stressful situations at the hospital and sometimes i'm not even able to take a break to drink water i don't get a lunch break in a 12-hour period and those were the days when i come home and i'm super foggy yeah and then I'm up half of the night, not being able to sleep, only get like three, four hours of sleep and then go back the next day to do it all over again. Yeah. And so once I was able to uh, get out of that peak pandemic state and, you know, it, it took me a while to transition into taking my care of myself again in the hospital setting still because we got used to not having lunch breaks. We got used to working in these um, unhealthy environments. So. I came to a point where I said, I have to have my lunch break at work in 12 hours. It's ridiculous. I have to eat. That's the only way that I can take care of my patients in the the way that I want to and the way that they deserve. So whatever I need to do to make that happen, I do it. Um, and then also drink water as well because I can tell how um, I, I just can't think straight when I'm mm-hmm. dehydrated. You yeah. Know? And it really depletes your body. Our bodies are made of more than 70% water. So for us to deprive ourselves of water and then think that we're going to perform at a high level, either physically or mentally is just unrealistic. Yeah. And you know, what it sounds like is you're saying you 
value the state of your being while you're working more than just the outcome of what your work is. And I found like that's so helpful because that means that more importantly than what we have to do is how I feel while I'm doing it. Because mm-hmm. I know if I'm operating from a place where, you know, I'm feeling relaxed or I'm feeling just energized, then I can do this job safely. Yeah. And it's interesting, this article that I found by Dr. Greg Enriquez on just psychology today, the title of it is Be Oriented Towards Valued States of Being. Mm. And he's trying to break down in people's motivation that you should think about this, how you feel after the steps that you take, mm-hmm. right? There's people battling addictions and they know that when they use their substance that they feel good for a little bit and then they feel all the way down. Mm -hmm. And if we're able to delay gratification to try to go towards how that feeling is going to be in the future, then we can make more decisions. So what he tries to say is that clarifying what our core values are is crucial to defining our value goals and paving the path towards them. He says, when we are clear about our values, we can reference our goals and actions against them to ensure that they are aligned When they are not, that is a good signal that we need to pause and reorient our thinking and our doing towards the type of life we want to value. Mm, I love that. That's great. That's great. So what are your core values? And and for me, what I found is that, and this is through trial and error, what I found is that honesty, if I'm 100% honest about what I'm doing, um, being impeccable with my word, then the state that I feel inside is much more free. Mm -hmm. And like I'm saying, I had to learn that by trial and error. Mm -hmm. Um, Hustle, you know, I've had that in me my whole life. Mm -hmm. I value hustle. I value like that idea of an athlete that dives for the loose ball or sacrifices this body for his team. I've always valued that. So you mean hustle in terms of the effort you put forth, not hustle in terms of trying to get a bag? No, uh, yeah, hustle in terms of the effort you put forth. Mm-hmm. And what many people have found is that, you know, if you desire the true hustle, then the bag usually comes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like, you got to value the state that you're going to feel after you try your hardest more than the state you're going to feel after you get the bag. Yeah, and that comes, again, with decision-making and self-control because um, you do have to choose between am I going to put my effort more so into the process and the effort that I put forth or am I going to put that effort into visualizing the end goal and dreaming and trying to make it look like I'm already at a certain point. Exactly. Right? Yep. Um, cool. I love I love all those explanations. That's a great article. Who? Where was that from again? Um, psychology Today, which is oh, a nice. free online, yeah. you know, yeah. psychology articles that anyone can. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Psychology Today, you'll see every day it's updated with all types of interesting articles that doctor level research has done that it's just talking about the mind and mm-hmm. all types of different subjects. Yeah. Yeah. So what what values do you feel like you have that have helped you maintain a state of being that you value? Honesty is a big one for me too, especially being a healthcare professional. I've talked about in the past, being honest uh, makes my job a lot easier. Um, having a environment of trust between me and my coworkers, me and my patients, my, my patients' families, and um, everyone involved in that healing process. If we can just trust each other and not have to operate in a state of paranoia or worry, 
um, because we're all worried when someone's in the hospital. You know, mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to happen. We just uh, we use our research-based evidence and uh, try to do what we can to help people foster the energy to heal whatever ailment that they're trying to get through. And um, when when we trust each other and we have faith in each other, I see that happen a lot easier. Mm. Um, you know, I... In, in addition to honesty, I think that um, a really important value for me is to always believe in myself because we've also discussed previously how we in sports sometimes have motivation from negative energy. So we tell ourselves that we're inadequate and that that's what's going to push us to be better. But now I have this confidence and I'm, I'm proud of myself for what I've accomplished thus far, but I know there's so much more for me to do. And in the past that used to overwhelm me a little bit because it's hard to see the end and you know, you don't need to see the end. That's not the point of it. Um, I appreciate the point I'm at now and I appreciate the people that have allowed me to get here and, uh, that's why um, having that value of self-confidence and then that value of community and appreciation and mm-hmm. showing gratitude to the people that have uh, assisted me and, um, you know, just being a resource for them when I can and returning mm-hmm. the favor and um, making that that environment of reciprocal energy that we've discussed before, too. Yeah. Um, doing unto others as you would prefer to have done to you. That's very very simple in our teachings we learned that early on in life you know treat people how you want to be treated and for some reason that gets lost Mm -hmm. at some point i feel well as we mature and experience life and we see that other people aren't necessarily operating in that way yeah i mean i think a lot of times we don't know how we want to be treated like Mm. sometimes people don't really know how they want to be treated Mm. so it's like treat people how you would like to be treated but it's like what if i like a bunch of toxic stuff in my life Mm -hmm. it it can get weird and you know just thinking back to how we were saying being honest can put you in a state of being during work i don't know if people recognize when you go to a sporting event and you see a crowd and coaches and players all disagreeing with the ref as a ref you're wrong sometimes Mm -hmm. right and if you're able to admit that, it's crazy how much easier things can be. You know, like when someone's blowing up at you and if you genuinely had a look and you have a perspective and you're like, man, I, I might have missed that. I didn't have the cleanest idea about it. There's so much respect that goes with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it, you really have to humble yourself to be able to say that type of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And um, did you have that quality when you first started rapping? No, no, because when I first started, I had just got done playing. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, it was still, my ego was still involved. I was still like, oh, I'm good at basketball, so I'm going to know everything about this, and I'm mm-hmm. going to be so good at it. Right. And then I was quickly found, like, I was wrong, but I didn't even know why I was wrong at the beginning. Right. It was just me being, you know, boisterous and saying that, this is a representation of my past basketball performance when it wasn't. Mm. There's a whole new realm. Yeah, so once I remember I, you saying that. Yeah, you feel me? Yeah. And I used to be way more argumentative. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I started off trying to ref men's, men leagues, 
And these men would argue with me that I knew I was way better than. Mm-hmm. And they'd be talking to me about foul. And I, I wouldn't even have the intelligence of the rule book to actually give them a good answer. Mm-hmm. I would say things like, all right, when your game's over, my shoes are in my car, bro. Yeah. Like one on one, like how you going to tell me that was a foul? Like I'll bust you 11-0, I guarantee it. And yeah. that was the place I operated from at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But now that I've studied and I've been, you know, in seeing the professional side and yeah. had mentors, like I understand way more of the how much you have to humble yourself to truly do it. Yeah, and uh, having that level of professionalism is essential. And not everyone is able to develop that in a way that they still are true to themselves. And I know that you've experienced people that aren't able to excel in a professional setting because they feel like they're not able to be themselves and still be professional. So how were you able to navigate that transitional process of not being a different person who's not uh, in line with your your true character and your spirit but mm-hmm. also um, develop into more of a professional being yeah I think that I was able to do that because well with officiating in particular you have a crowd and everybody has their own individual perspective on what's happening and whatever degree they understand about the rules. So it could literally be from a certain point of view, you don't know what's going on, or because of your lack of understanding of the game, you don't know what's going on. And you're coming at me with your full anger yelling Mm -hmm. while I'm trained to be in the position and have the understanding of what's happening. And it made me realize that the crowd is never going to fully understand the work that goes in. And I don't just mean that for basketball officiating. I mean that for everything. Like if you're studying and you're working harder and you're truly trying to be great, there's going to be the masses that is not doing that. That's not going to fully understand your perspective. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to stay true and still make decisions from your intuition. You cannot allow that to shake your knowledge base. And that I was able to remain myself in my professional setting because it correlates with how I just feel. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, I've always seen basketball as a game. It's been one of my biggest assets is that I was able, and that's because of my big brother, shout out to Blake Davis. (laughs) You know what I mean? Blake Jones, my big brother, Blake Davis. He always made sure that I understood that basketball is a game. Mm -hmm. So now when I work with it, I see it as a game as well, but I remain myself because in real life, it's the same idea. Yeah, and that's important too because it's hard for people to look at basketball as a game but then take it seriously at like a professional level and have that mentality and that intensity at the same time. Bro, the other day I was working a game and I started, this was a high school game, right? So more relaxed, but two young dudes are next to me ready for the tip-off. And I look at them and I was like, hey, yo, earlier guys, I was watching a Kobe documentary and they just looked at me crazy. Like, what's this ref talking about? And I was like, man, I was watching a Kobe documentary earlier. Like, how blessed are we that we get to participate in basketball today? And they both looked at me like, yeah, true. Like, I love Kobe. And I'm like, yeah, bro, me too. I grew up loving him as well. And we're able to participate in the thing that he put his whole life into. And it's beautiful for now. Yeah. And it's valuable that you did that. And I'm glad that you shared that because there's so much power in trying to be relatable. Some people are so caught up on being an individual and not being a part of the collective and having this 
uh, tunnel vision of their path and not realizing that small interactions like that go a long way. That mm. probably influenced how those young fellas chose to behave in that game, the effort that they put forth and probably the sportsmanship too, because there there's that, that other motivation now in the back of their minds of why they're doing what they're doing. And that goes back to discussion we've had previously as well with um, finding your purpose and um, having a, a positive motivation for whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, so hat, hat tip to you for that. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, thinking back to how we were talking about, and we'll definitely stay in a cohesive conversation here, but thinking back to how we were making that metaphor of the tree and our upbringing, some people don't, they're not tilled and they're not taken care of all the way to 18. Some people, like, even as their seeds are beginning to sprout, the people who are supposed to take care of them leave them. Mm -hmm. And they could be, you know, subject to, to the state to take care of them or some other entity. Yeah. But it's really interesting because it's one thing you do have to notice is that some plants out here were neglected. And those people have to develop their own philosophy to be able to come into their full power just as everyone else. But I don't know. It just made me think about that. I'm like, some of these plants were not taken care of all the way till maturity. Well, maybe it was just the 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 hand that they were dealt and the season they were born in, mm. the season they were planted, right? Um, maybe sometimes the seeds are are planted in the summertime and have have the opportunity to grow without the the harsh effects of the winter right some some mm. seeds are planted in the cold and they might be left alone and have to to find the light later on in life when there's more warmth yeah. available that's very true man um it's very true so if for those of you that aren't able to follow follow along with these metaphors you know think of a we at the hospital, we have a, a baby drop box, essentially. I forget what the technical term for it is, but mm. if someone has a child and they don't, they either don't want to take care of the child or they're not able to, um, this is kind of morbid, but rather than them throwing the baby in a dumpster, which happens, um, they can take it to the hospital and put it in the drop box area and a little alarm will go off and... Um, it used to not be anonymous at my hospital, but with the extension they've built now, it's an anonymous area. And um, I actually don't know the full process of what happens after the baby's retrieved, but, um, you know, they check them out and uh, they get put into the system and hopefully get adopted eventually. But um, how you said a seed before it has its roots, it can get blown away in the wind. That's like the the baby that kind of gets lost and it has to find its way in the, in the world. And then somebody decides to nurture that seed and it still has the opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. right? You're right. You're right. Um, so what, what do you think goes into determining whether or not you are making a right or a wrong decision? I think that, and once again, from trial and error, I think that how you have made the people that you care about feel and how you mm -hmm. feel about your decision. I yeah. think you need to take both of those into 
um, consideration because if you're only thinking about how you feel, you could still be making a completely wrong decision. And if you only think about what the people around you feel, you could make a poor decision. So it's a balance between those two. Yep. That's what I think. And that's kind of, once again, an internal feedback. It's kind of intuitive, but that was developed in me from making a lot of decisions where I only took myself into consideration. Mm -hmm. And then I found myself in a state of being that I did not want to be in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I had to reckon with that and be like, why do I keep ending up in this place where time feels constricted and I don't feel like I'm expanding? And it's like, oh, well, it's because the decision I'm making are wrong. (laughs) You know, that was, that was the answer that smacked me in my face. Yeah. And, um, sometimes it takes that happening more than once, unfortunately. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, it's, it's good that you bring that up because it, it's as simple as when you're not getting the results that you want and you're not feeling the emotions that you want, then you got to change what you're doing. And, um, a lot of time, Uh, we don't realize that the situation we're in is a product of the decisions that we made previously. Yeah. So uh, what you have to do is continue to make decisions. Don't just stop making decisions and stay stagnant and be upset with your situation. Uh, Decide how you're going to get out of that situation and what you're going to change because change is necessary for you to improve whatever it is that you want to improve. Yeah, and... and, uh, an addiction, like I was saying earlier, your state of being after you've used your substance and came down, an addiction can be paired with your bad choices. And it oftentimes is. Mm-hmm. And that can be very difficult because some people could be like, I know what the right move is, but I'm also have a chemical um, dependence. Yeah. And pairing those two things can be very difficult. And like I said, comfort is a drug, too. Mm. So people talk about comfort foods. Yeah. You know, comfort yourself with eating. Yeah. Um, people comfort themselves with actual drugs mm-hmm. or, um, you know, comfort themselves with procrastination. Sometimes yeah. doing nothing feels good. Mm-hmm. And uh, you deserve to do nothing sometimes, but you have to have that balance between it, right? For sure. Um, I think balance is very important. And literally everything um having balance in the light exposure in your day you know you need light exposure in the morning you need darkness at night if you're always in the light you can't sleep you Mm -hmm. have to be able to sleep you have to rest and digest you have to uh shut down and uh be able to to put your body in a state where it's not active yeah some people are so go 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 and don't do what it takes to wind down Mm because that's a process too. And we look at our screens and we have this blue light exposure and we're always uh, thinking about what the next move is or uh, lack of planning will make us think too much about what's going on the next day rather than us having the confidence that we've already prepared and what we're going to do. And then so all those things in together are going to have you over- responding and and being too too interactive when you really do need the time to be able to to recover from whatever whatever it is that you're doing yeah you're saying you know if you're always in the light you eventually need to be in the dark Mm -hmm. and the reverse is true if you're always in the dark the time comes where you're gonna have to be in the light and you're gonna get judged you're gonna get exposed you cannot run from it so Trying to stay in the dark isn't a viable alternative. Have you ever had an epiphany? 
Yes. Explain what that experience is like. Okay. An epiphany, a moment where I realized something that was profound and changed the, my perspective on the world. An aha moment. An aha moment. Mm. Oftentimes, when I do have an epiphany, it feels like I unlock a new level in a video game or something like mm. that. It usually is a mixture of something I've been exposed to, so I kind of already understand. And it seems like the right setting and some type of grace comes at a moment that converges and opens up a new realm of understanding to me. And that might be my own definition of epiphany, but that's just how it feels when it's happened to me. What do you think potentiates an epiphany? I think circumstances in your life lead up to the epiphany. And I think this is kind of where we can see the divine hand in our life because you usually it's outside of your control. Usually it could be random occurrences, like 10 coincidences in a row. And then you end up here with a certain person talking about this certain thing and you're like, oh, this is a message that mm -hmm. I believe God's trying to tell me, or this mm -hmm. is a coincidence mm -hmm. from the universe or whatever you want to say. But yeah, yeah. And I, I like that you said both of them because I personally believe that those are um, messages from God. And if you see the same sign or have the same feeling uh, repeatedly and you know, in the past, you weren't responding to it in a certain way, but it keeps happening over and over again. I think that that's God telling you like, hey, wake mm -hmm. up. I'm trying to tell you to do this. And then eventually um, you're you're led to listen to that intuition. Mm -hmm. And that is your aha moment. And um, that I think everyone that accomplishes significant goals in their life and um um, has this kind of spiritual awakening or um, gets closer to self-actualization, they go through these periods where they're having epiphanies and mm -hmm. it's a product of them putting effort towards being better. Yeah. Um, trying to progress and um, learn. I think as we try to educate ourselves in anything, um, a lot of the things that we learn uh, come to us as epiphanies because certain concepts are hard to grasp at first, especially when they're foreign. So as you expose yourself to more of the information around that concept, eventually it's going to click, but mm -hmm. you just keep putting forth the effort and it's not easy to do. A lot of people probably don't realize that they've had an epiphany before. Yeah. And that's where your belief in what is being given to you in this environment comes into play because like you're saying you could have all the coincidences you could have all these things lining up and you just want to keep turning a blind eye and acting like there isn't some type of message coming to you mm -hmm. and for and the opposite side of that for me is I'm trying to become just more sensitive to this information that's coming to me from God like I don't even want to call stuff a coincidence or I don't even want to look at it like it's obscure anymore. Like I just want to keep moving like, Oh, another message. Oh, another message. Like this is just how the universe is with me now. And I'm mm. going to keep on moving. Yeah. I think that the idea that anything is a coincidence or just happens by chance, that's you neglecting that internal locus of control mm -hmm. because if you think that stuff just happens and you don't have any say over whether or not it takes place then you don't have any control over what's going on right as simple as that mm -hmm. so that's just a decision 
that you are going to be in charge and that you are at least going to believe that you have a say in what's going on and that you can affect your path. Yeah. And we were just talking about valuing a state of being from your decisions and you can be in a state where you're just more receptive and you can do everything to put yourself into that state, right? Like you've been talking about these healthy habits of eating and water. We've been talking about meditation and taking time to be with yourself. These are all ways that you prime yourself to receive your blessings and your messages, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be in my best state as I can for God, <laughs> you know, and that that's that very simple And even as I say that, I just feel ecstatic. Like, it's just simple. Yeah. And then allowing yourself to be receptive is a lot easier when you're like Russ and I, and you're often in the the role of an observer, you know? Yeah. You observe basketball games and analyze them. You observe children in the educational setting and analyze them and Mm -hmm. try to put them in the best situation to grow. I observe my patients in the hospital setting and assess them and uh, take in a lot of data and information and uh, troubleshoot to see what's going to be the best plan of care for them to accomplish their goals that we've set. Um, so that, that observer and the receptive mindset go hand in hand. And a lot of people don't like to listen and they love to talk and they love to, um, put things out, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily let things in. And we have to be open to receiving information from different sources, even sources that we may assume we don't agree with because people think that your education has to come from the trusted source that you've deemed um you know trustworthy but sometimes we learn from things that we don't agree with right and Mm -hmm. we just have to pick out the information as it enters and not just take it all for fact Mm -hmm. and being able to decipher between what we believe and what we reject is very important rather than us just only allowing in what we think we believe. For sure. Yeah. If you're going to teach, you got to learn. And it's interesting. I heard this very veteran teacher who's great at what she does, has amazing engagement with her classrooms and just has such a passion for education And I was talking to her about how she goes about teaching this younger generation about um, fact checking, because I'm like, man, these kids have all the information in the world at their fingertips, but they have to develop a process to put it, you know, fact check it Mm -hmm. and figure out what sources are and what they can trust. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, well, yeah, that's true. And they need to end up being in a place where what resonates with them is truth like you know i'm saying the information they intake she's saying like the graduate level is that you'll know by your feeling inside of you if this information if you should take it or not Mm -hmm. and when she she said it so nonchalantly and i'm just like yo that sounds like 400 level um learning yeah right because if you have to have a base of information and then it made me think well maybe there is more of a intuitive level where yeah. the truth resonates with us without us needing all this like studying mm-hmm. again the importance of intuition yeah because 
we're going to receive information and it's all going to sound believable, Mm -hmm. but it's going to contradict each other. Yeah. So we have to use our intuition and our morals and our Mm -hmm. values to decide what we are going to decide Mm -hmm. what we are going to let in as our truth. Yeah. And then us as leaders and y'all as leaders, you have to take the responsibility of shining light on those who are trying to deceive Mm-hmm. Right. Because a lot of people will use that power to create illusions and deceive people, yeah. lead them down a the wrong path for monetary reasons or maybe just because they're maniacal. Mm-hmm. But either way, that's why we need righteous and positive leaders. So then yeah. you can point that out like, no, you get out of here. That's not good. That's not good. And I think some people fall down the path of deceit because they stray from honesty just once or twice and then they realize oh i lied and i got what i wanted Mm. so then they continue to do that on a large scale and they get Mm. good at lying and then that just creates this toxic environment where they feel like they're thriving but they don't realize the destruction that they're creating around them yep that's a maladaptive maladaptive behavior Mm -hmm. um j cole has a bar where he says the good news is you came a long way the bad news is you went the wrong way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's true. You can get rewarded for your bad decisions and you don't even recognize that if you were to shift that boat to the right direction, then you would be expanding way more than what you're getting doing your negativity. Mm-hmm. And and it's 100 percent of the time, mm-hmm. you know, so many people are so gifted, but they use their power and their gifts for the wrong reason. And um, that's why, you know, you get in this weird place of people glorifying who we consider bad people. But Mm -hmm. really, those people were highly intelligent. They just used their intelligence for negativity and Mm -hmm. evil. Yep. Um, So, you know, we have to be able to analyze people and what they did and how they did it Mm -hmm. without you know, worshiping them or referring to what they did as positive. Yeah. Sometimes if their strategies for accomplishing what they did were effective, we have to take that into consideration, right? Yeah. And from the research in psychology, we know that people's environments have more to do with their decision making than any other factor, the Mm -hmm. environment they're raised in, the culture and society they're raised in. So you also have to be critical of what your society is promoting, Mm -hmm. Just because you're here in this land doesn't mean you pledge blind allegiance. You still have to try to decipher between what's right and wrong, even on that level. Mm -hmm. So if your society is shining more light on negativity and putting that in people's faces, you got to be able to discern. Yeah, yeah, because people can be uh, spreading the same message, but with a different purpose behind it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. So what, what do you think is... An, an essential quality for people to develop so that they can decipher between the good and evil and what in the information that they're receiving. Yeah. I think that the main tool is to study mm-hmm. and go live. Mm-hmm. Those two things. I think studying helps you learn more about the past and like what this scale of history is outside of just your current country or state that you have allegiance to and then 
you got to go out, travel and go try stuff and go meet people and go on dates and have fun with your friends and go do a bunch of stuff. Because after you do all that, you're going to feel what's right and wrong Mm -hmm. eventually. So have experiences Mm -hmm. and learn from other people's experience. Yep. Pairing those two, studying the history and then living in the now. By making decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you pair those, now now you're using both resources to be able to make the best decisions you can. Being resourceful is a skill. It's an art. Yeah, it is. We, oh, I almost misspoke. We all have resources. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have the same resources, but a small... Um, fraction of the population uses all of their resources to the the fullest of their extent Mm -hmm. and those are the people that get what they want and um, you know live happier lives because they're resourceful and they they plan and they put energy towards the right things Mm -hmm. and they are decisive Um, so what what do you think someone that doesn't have quite as many resources needs to do in order to harness the the capabilities of what they do have? I think that you can always start with information. So get, I mean, this sounds cliche, but get a library card. You know, start with wherever is closest to you that houses information that you can try to study. Um, I went to Phoenix College for two years, a community college in downtown Phoenix. And Mm -hmm. the majority of my free time, I was up in the section that was labeled philosophy, psychology, just picking up books and being like, what are they talking about? What are they talking about? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that was going to lead me down a route, Mm -hmm. but... I put my energy into anything and then the route opened up. So if you're out of resources, use some of these staples in the community that get funding for that purpose. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's not, it's not a new idea that the library is there to help you out. And it's crazy because libraries are almost dying. People uh, neglect the fact that they have so much information available and, you know, we turn to our phone where we search something and it's a lot more convenient, mm-hmm. but uh, you don't have as much control of the input. So yeah. you ask, but you don't know what you're going to receive. Yeah. And it's a lot harder to uh, decipher between all of this information that you're getting all at once from these thousand different websites that are all talking about the same thing in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, what's in the library is... Um, almost sacred text like yeah, it, it's there in history it it has um it has publishers behind it and backing and you you know the source more directly and mm-hmm. um books are seeming to fall out of style a little bit because we have online books and articles and we can get summaries of everything mm-hmm. um you know we saw in high school a lot people didn't even read the book you just look at the summary online and you can get most of your answers that you need for whatever assignment you have in that way for sure um but 
for someone that doesn't feel like they have the resources someone else has or someone that doesn't feel like they have enough or they don't have the knowledge of um, what they need to accomplish whatever they dream of. The library is a perfect example of Mm -hmm. an infinite resource. You cannot utilize everything in the library ever in your life. So, Mm -hmm. So to think that you don't have information available or resources... You're just doing yourself a disservice not to start with the basics. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then you'll figure out what you can bring to market or what skill you can develop to get the capital and then create the tablet for your future generations. And you start generational wealth. But it has to begin with enlightening yourself. It's interesting that you asked me that because just yesterday there was this like 13-year-old girl I was working with who she asked me, she's like, do you play basketball? Were you an athlete? And I'm like, yeah, like I used to play basketball mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, I play at my middle school and I want to play in high school. And I'm like, where do you go to get your extra practice? Because obviously, I, you know, that extra practice is what makes people successful mm-hmm. in the game. So I asked her, well, where do you go? Like, do you have a park? Do you have a gym near you that you can go to do your practices? And she was like, well, the park that's next to me is not safe. Like my parents would not let me go to that park. And it made me think like, man, when I was 13, I just rode my bike down to the park and started getting my jumpers up. Mm-hmm. And there's kids out here who can't go to their park because it's infested with gang members and drugs and violence. And she can't even go develop her jump shot until she gets old enough to have a car to be able to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm just like, dang. Yeah. Just keep it in perspective. I, I talk to kids all the time about how many resources they have and how blessed they are to to have workout equipment at their house or have a park next door, be within walking distance of their school, things that we take for granted so easily. But we see a lot of the people that don't have those resources be the ones that end up making it to the highest level of success because Mm -hmm. they have to learn how to be resourceful and they have so much more gratitude for what they have and they don't take it for granted and they uh, use it to the extent of its potential. Mm -hmm. just because they don't have all of these other things in front of them to distract them from the essentials that are so important and developing what it is that they aspire to do. For sure. And in America, if a person like Jay-Z, Dame Dash, Wallow, if these people can become successful coming from like the pits of poverty just because of their determination, it's inspirational because that means that anyone can yeah you it takes a crazy level of dedication and learning how to block out distractions and not participate in evil Mm -hmm. that's gonna be to your detriment just a lot of conscious decision making Mm -hmm. yeah but possible right possible Possible if you're taking accountability uh for yourself accountability internal locus of control ownership Mm mm-hmm um, all of those terms go hand in hand. And that's what those people have clearly had to develop to come out of those depths mm-hmm. and rise to the light. It's crazy because you listen to Wallow267, right? He has his podcast, Million Dollars Worth of Game. He was in prison for 20 years. And he said that when he was in prison, he was like paying attention to how social media and devices and everything were starting to rise up. And he knew right there in his cell, when I get out, dude, I'm getting to the bag. 
because he knew that in himself he had removed the fear of judgment from other people and he saw that most people out here have the tools but haven't learned how to remove the fear mm-hmm. so he was like man when i'm out of here i'm going up i'm making merchandise i'm making a podcast i'm making content i'm just gonna make a brand and then eventually monetize it because i've learned what i need which is removing the fear the next part is just me going out and being consistent yeah and, and y- using your adversity and your experience to your advantage because you see uh thousands and thousands of people that have been through the same thing he has and not been able to do even a fraction of what he has afterwards in in the rehabilitation phase and um you know it we really can't expect anyone that's been to prison to do it while it was done but Mm -hmm. since he's done it it's possible and then somebody's gonna do something even more amazing than what he has done but he set the precedent and and once it's been done once it can be done again Mm -hmm. so that should be tremendous motivation for anyone that has been caught up in the in the prison system because i know a lot of these individuals end up back in the same situation because it's hard to see any other option especially when you do know that the world is going to judge you and you have this tag on you for the rest of your life but Mm -hmm. what walla was able to do is use that high level of judgment and understanding that people are going to judge him regardless so what do i have to lose like Mm -hmm. i might as well speak my mind and just be a positive influence around the people in my life and have this brand and work towards what i want which is to be financially stable and to be uh appreciated and to be a positive influence around people because i he didn't want to do what he was doing before he knows that wasn't working he learned his lesson Mm -hmm. and we sometimes don't give people in the prison system the opportunity to show us hey i learned my lesson and this is what i'm going to do to show you oftentimes because they have yeah most of the time because they have this tag on them and um it's hard for us to forgive we we have this disconnection from each other and the decision making process and all of the the background information and external influence that goes into what we decide to do and i can say for me and you know with russ as well we grew up doing things that some kids got in a lot of trouble for and we are blessed to be here today in the position we are to be a positive influence because um you could say we're lucky we say we're blessed that we did not get punished for some of the things that we did we were places we weren't supposed to be we did things mm-hmm. we weren't supposed to do that's part of being a kid but it's different being a black kid in certain areas making these same decisions in different environments because all those factors change then you're in a very dangerous situation all of a sudden Mm -hmm. and then somebody calls the cops on you and you don't get a chance to say i'm sorry yeah right straight up yeah very true so again i'm so grateful and blessed for opportunity to have another discussion with my brother russ here today because it it wasn't easy to get here. It was you know, not easy. I to think get here, I think bro. I've had a smooth ride so far, twenty six years, and especially in comparison to some people. But life's not easy for anybody, and we have to take that into consideration so that we can be more empathetic towards each other and be able to relate and connect. And that's going to not only make it easier for you as an individual, but it's going to make it easier for the people around you to be drawn to your energy, and they're going to be. Uh, more inclined to be a part of what you're trying to create. 
For sure. Man, I love that you brought that up because I'm probably going to think about that for the rest of the day. Like, it was not easy for us to get here. Mm. You know, like you're saying, this was a lot of blessings and then a lot of hard work and then just so much. And it's it's beautiful. You know, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, God. Yeah. That sounds like a good place to wrap it up. Yes, sir. So thank you, everyone, for tapping in, for giving us your feedback. Everyone who's messaged me, sent me texts and everything, giving me feedback and positivity. I appreciate you. And, you know, we're going to keep trying to align to a higher purpose and be thankful to God for every time we get to talk. Mm -hmm. One love, rhythm, and blessings. I'll see y'all next time. Peace.